Well, I would love to start today with some hypothetical scenarios, okay? And see how you think you might respond to this. It's always fun with a little bit more crowd participation. You'll see where I'm going with this as we uh, get started. Let, let's just assume that today you have a great Sunday. It's just wonderful. It goes smoothly. And you get the best night of sleep of your life tonight. You're not waking up three times to go pee. Your dog isn't jumping in the bed. Like you have a great night of sleep. It's just wonderful. And you wake up the next morning, you're feeling good, energized, ready to go. The coffee maker works. You get in the car, you leave on time, and you're pulling right onto the interstate, and you're greeted with this as you are on your way to work. Now, how are you feeling in that moment? You Save me Jesus, I just heard. Yeah. Um, I see all you remote workers out there. You got little smugs on your face right now. I see those little smiles, all you people working your PJs all week. Um, that's not fun. We don't like that. Now, let's do another hypothetical scenario. You, uh, you've been saving up for months, maybe even years to go on the dream trip to take the family to Disney World, just get the bucket list, check it off, and be able to have that whole experience. And you go on this whole trip, you survive the flights, you finally pay for, you know, your life savings and retirement is invested in this experience. And you pull up to that first ride and you're greeted with this sign right here. Wait time, 300 minutes. Which, guess what, is not an exaggeration. It gets that high sometimes. And you now realize that you're going to spend the next three days of your life standing in line. So that's what you're going to do. And you paid $10,000 for that experience. Now, one more. Actually, two more. One fun one here. Um, maybe you got like a dream trip. It's not Disney World. Like, you're going to maybe do like, you're going to Europe. You're getting a great experience. Again, this is going to be incredible. Time off from work. Unbelievable. And you get everything packed. You're so excited. You cannot wait. And then you get to the airport. You look over the guardrail and you see the security line like that at the airport. If anybody asks you what hell is like, just say it is airport security over and over again forever and ever. That's what it is. Now, I think everybody's probably had this experience. Let's say you call your bank or something. You're just trying to get some help, get some answers to some questions, and you finally get the 800 number. You make the call, and you are welcomed with this greeting right here. Your call is very important to us. Please stay on the line, and you'll be transferred to the next available agent. Does anybody want to, like, punch a puppy in the face right now just hearing that? Like, you just can't. Like... I actually like cringe when I hear that because you know you're going to be waiting for the next 45 minutes to talk to another robot. Now, I promise I'm going somewhere with this. Every single person here hates to wait. Every single one of us. We hate to delay our desires and the things we actually want to do. We actually have a term for this current moment in history we live in. We call it an instant gratification culture. And it speaks to the fact that at this point in history, you can get most things so much faster than ever before. You can get some things instantly that people had to wait days or weeks for in the past. And what is fascinating about this is researchers have actually studied how this is impacting just our lives. And what they found is that it actually is harder for us to wait today than previous generations. They, they studied some college students and they found that college students actually do not regulate emotionally as well when facing delays. Just wanted to give you some hope for our future generations and where our world is headed. Um, but they say tech, media, consumer culture, fast pace of life, waiting is actually much harder for us than it used to be. Now, we talked about some of the fun stuff at the top, but there are some real things that are actually hard to wait for. 
Nicole and I have some good friends that live in our neighborhood. And the husband in this couple lost his job a couple months ago. And they're now getting to that point where they are really, really feeling just the pinch financially because of this situation they're in. And I was catching up with the wife just at the neighborhood park. And she's like, Brian, I am getting so tired of waiting. Like, we're getting exhausted by just hearing no's all the time. I'm not sure I can handle another rejection. Like, we need to find this job. There's actually um, a couple I spoke to in our church recently, and they were telling me a little of their story. And they have an adult son who just drifted away from faith and church and God when he moved out of the house. I mean, we hear this story often. And they said, Brian, we've been waiting for over 20 years to see if our son's ever going to show any interest in God again, any interest in Jesus or matters of faith. I have a female friend who uh, just crossed the 40-year mark in her life. That's a big milestone. And she said, you know, I would love to get married and have a family one day. Like, that's something I'd really love. But at some point, like, the time's going to run out. I don't know how I'm supposed to wait any longer. You see, the waiting game can be extremely painful. It can just be exhausting. And we are actually in our second to last week in our series through James. I know you all have been thinking we were going to be in this until Jesus comes back, but I promise we're going to actually finish this book next week. And if you are just joining us, we've been walking just through a whole letter in the Bible. And next week, we'll be able to say we finished the whole book of James together as a church. I can't wait. But I do not want us to lose our appreciation for what we've been digging through the last handful of weeks. You have to remember, James was a younger half-brother of Jesus. He grew up with Jesus, and he watched his own older brother get nailed to a cross, and he thought that was the end of his brother. A horrific incident. Paul actually tells us, though, that James had a dramatic encounter. He says this in 1 Corinthians. Then he, Jesus, appeared to James. James saw the resurrected Jesus face to face. And in that moment, Jesus was not his older brother. He was his God. He was his Lord and Savior. And we are reading some of the very words of someone who had a face-to-face -face encounter with the resurrected Christ. That is somebody we should listen to. This is somebody we should take seriously. And today, James is going to talk to us about waiting and the pain and frustration that it sometimes brings. So we're going to be in James chapter 5. I'm starting in verse 7. Let's see what James has to say to us. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Now, we have a very simple command today, simple charge, two words from James today. Be patient. Now, I know we all kind of understand what that means, but just to get the nuance of what James is trying to say, the idea that James is pushing for here is waiting with calm expectation, enduring in the face of delay. And James is saying, 
This is a baseline standard for somebody who claims the name of Christ. There are some things that just take time. There are some things you cannot force. You can't microwave it. You cannot make it happen. And James even uses an illustration to kind of push this idea. It talks about this farmer image. And, you know, there's actually a lot of places in the Middle East that have a very similar climate to Colorado. It kind of swings back and forth with these extremes and can get really dry. And everybody reading James' letter in the first century would understand what he's saying. Because rain is life, especially for the people reading this. It was absolutely essential. And they would do everything in their power to plant and get the soil ready and get all the seeds in there. And then all they could do after that was just wait. Because as essential as rain is, they need it for life. You can't make the sky pour rain down. You just got to trust that it's going to come in its right time. And if you were here last week, you would remember that we talked about how much of life is just out of our control. Like there are so many things we can't do and we can't handle and we just have to leave in the hands of God. And James is saying, that's exactly right. You just got to be patient with so many areas of your life. Now here's where it gets interesting. James is now going to give a reason for why we should live this way. Why we should have this attitude about our lives. And it's a reason you probably would not expect or not one you would use in everyday conversation. James is about to say, you know why you can wait? You know why you can be patient with the frustrations and struggles of life? Because something's coming. There is a date on the calendar. This event has been set. And so our response should be to live every day like it could be the day. Now, have you noticed that Just having anticipation for something kind of changes the whole experience of it. Have you ever asked like a five-year-old when their birthday is? And they're like, oh, it's only 127 days, 32 hours, 43 minutes, and seven seconds until my birthday. Like there is this ridiculous anticipation for this moment. Nicole and I made the horrible mistake of planning a trip and then telling our children that it was four weeks away. And every single day, mom, dad, are we going on the trip yet? I'm like, no, there's literally like 27 days left on this thing. They're like, well, we're going to ask 18 times every day for the next month. That's what we're going to do. Because they just have like this anticipation. Uh, Come on, you know what this feels like when you have like a vacation coming up, you know, and you know you only got like 10 days, seven days. You can't handle anything from Bob at work. Or, or Steve, or Rachel, or whatever their name is. I didn't want to use Karen, because that's just too easy. So we, I'm sorry, I know. Um, but you can handle it, right? You know, I'll put up with anything. There is a date on the calendar. I'm going on vacation, all right? Turning the email off. Nicole and I uh, long distance dated for a year and a half after we first met. And I remember we would go two, three months without seeing each other, but I was like, hey, it is going to be worth the wait, all right? I will wait up, because I know there's an event coming. We got a date on the calendar. We're going to meet up. It's the anticipation that changes the whole experience. So what are we supposed to be anticipating as followers of Christ? What should we be looking forward to? Well, James says, it's the Lord's coming. Now, the Bible makes a case that human history is actually moving in a very specific direction. And that the final stage in God's ultimate plan for humanity humanity will be the return of Jesus. 
where he will then usher in the kingdom of God to its full completeness. Now, Jesus himself gives us just a little taste of what this is even going to be like. Matthew 24, these are Jesus' words. And then at last, the sign that the Son of Man, that's Jesus, is coming will appear in the heavens. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet. And they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heavens. This is the day. It is the ultimate day, the final consummation of all human history. And Jesus even uses this image of a trumpet. Everybody would have understood this when he was saying it. You would, you would blast a trumpet for a massive victory in battle, even just the arrival of a significant person. They would even blow trumpets to gather people for like a momentous occasion. And Jesus is saying there is going to be a final trumpet, an ultimate trumpet, the trumpet to end all of them. I have a, uh, a friend that I was hanging out with recently who is a ridiculously serious Packers fan. Now, do not hold that against him. He's a very nice guy. But I remember hanging out with him because I know he never misses a game. He's very religious about it. And so I said, hey, did you catch the game? And he said, no, no, I didn't catch it. I'm going to watch it later, but I'm not worried because I already know the score. And have you ever watched a sporting event where you already know how it's going to end? Like, it changes the whole thing. Because your team could be down by 30 points at halftime. You're like, I'm all good. I'm chilling. Because I know how this thing is all going to end. We good. And James is saying, understand this. History is moving towards a very certain end. God wins. That, that's how it's going to end. He's just racking the score up right now. And so... Jesus is going to have this massive ultimate victory. He's going to bring heaven and earth together. The Bible calls it the new heavens and new earth, where God will deal with sin and death and suffering and pain once and for all, for all of his people. This is the greatest victory you could possibly imagine. Now this, though, is where people start to get a little antsy and honestly just get a little bit weird. Because you can jump on YouTube right now and find some guy in his mom's basement with a bunch of charts and graphs and calculations and dates and all the reasons why it's going to happen in three weeks at this time, in this minute, in this hour. And the reason why that's a problem is Jesus. And so many people want to try and predict and guess and, and all these things, but look what Jesus says about this moment. He says, but about the day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the son, but only the father. So you got to be very careful with your predictions and your calculations and your YouTube surfing. You just got to be very careful. So nobody knows, but at the same point, James is very clear. The Lord's coming is near. Now here's where I actually feel a little bit of dissonance with the Bible. I'm allowed to say that. Can I just be real? Like sometimes I read the Bible. I'm like, I struggle with that because if your life is anything like mine, it's kind of mundane a lot of days. Like, a lot of us here, you're going to wake up tomorrow, and you're going to do the same thing you did for the last 27 Mondays, for the last 27 years. Like, we kind of have a routine. It, we kind of go through the motions. Sometimes it's 
a drudgery. Sometimes it's discouraging. Sometimes it's just hard, but you're going to go to work. You're going to grind. You're going to take care of the kids. Maybe you got kids home from school, so you got to figure that out. Your back hurts. The toilet's broken. You got to pay the bills. Like that's your life. You know, it's just the day to day stuff. And this has been going on for 2000 years since James wrote this. Now, at first read, my thought is, that doesn't exactly seem near to me, James. 2,000 years? Feels like we're still a ways off. But if you actually read through the whole picture of the Bible and how God even views and exists in time, we see that God actually views time a lot differently than we do. And I don't want to get ahead of myself because in two weeks, we're really going to dig into that idea of God's timing. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold off for right now. But James is really leaning and saying, you have to make sure you trust the timing of God. And even though it feels like a long time for us, and it feels like maybe a lot isn't really happening, or like we're not really getting closer to this date, James is saying, you need to live your life like a kid the day before Christmas. There should be this eager anticipation to how you live your life. You should be looking forward to something. If you are a Christian, you have everything to look forward to. You are one day closer to this ultimate promise of God. And so for anybody in here, no matter how mundane your life feels, no matter how discouraging it is right now, how exhausted you are, James says, you need to be patient. You need to stand firm because there is a date on the calendar. Something is coming and it's closer than you think. So that's, that's the charge. Be patient. Now, James is actually going to zoom in here a little bit and he's going to talk about two areas where we really struggle with this, and this is really hard. And the first thing James is going to say is, you need to be patient with people. <laughs> We're going to have fun here. Verse 9, James says, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Now, I'm wondering if you have anybody in your life where if you think of them or you see them or they are approaching or even call on your phone, the first reaction you have is, oh, not them. Please, not them. Like you're like, I'm just going to send it to voicemail and see what they have to say, you know. Some of you in here, you would not admit it, but you look out your window to make sure the neighbor goes inside before you have to talk to him because it's just easier not to have to talk to him, okay? It's a lot easier. And when James talks about this idea of grumbling, he's talking about this groan and sigh that we have towards certain people. Just, ugh. And all of us have those types of people where just being in their presence just is something you don't really want. And in your mind, you've kind of written them off already, you would rather just avoid them. And sometimes there's even like a low-grade resentment, maybe an emotional detachment. <coughs> we have these people. And one of the primary areas you are going to lose your patience is with people. And the reason for that is because people are annoying. 
thought I'd hear a couple more amens over that for some people. <laughs> people are very frustrating. People are exhausting. I remember somebody once told me, like, man, Brian, life would be great if there were no people. Wouldn't it just be awesome if there's just no people? <laughs> like, it'd be awesome. And <laughs> when James talked about, like, patience with people, he's talking about this ability to remain calm and even caring with difficult people over a long period of time. How good are you at that? How long does it take you to fly off the handle? Do you make other people pay when they frustrate and irritate you? We all got our own little techniques, don't we? You ever have this one? Hey, how you doing? Fine. I am fine. Are you sure? Yes. Do not look sideways right now. I see some of you looking sideways. Eyes forward. Okay, eyes forward. We'll get through this. Now, why is this such a big deal? This is a huge deal to God. It says you're going to be judged if you relate to people like this. Why does God take this so seriously? Well, you see, your attitude towards other people is a symptom. It's an indicator of what is actually going on inside of your heart. And if you have a grumbling attitude towards other people in your life, it shows that you actually do not understand or have not fully grasped how God actually treats you. Psalm 103, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. Think about how many things we do every day that are irritating to God. How patient does God have to be with you? And you think of how many times God could just bring the hammer down on your life if he really wanted to. He could make your life a lot harder than it is. And every single person here today has been treated so much better than we deserve by God. He has shown you so much more mercy, so much more grace, and so much more patience. And when you encounter the supernatural patience of God in your life, it is what actually gives you the ability to show it to other people too. So, who do you have a grumbling attitude towards? Who are those people that you just groan about? I'm wondering today may be an opportunity for some of us to decide before we even leave this place today. You know, even though they don't deserve it, I'm going to treat them better. I'm actually going to treat them better than they deserve. Because that's exactly how God treats me. So we need to be patient with the people in our lives. Now, it's not just patience with people. It's also to be patient through suffering. 
This is next charge from James, verse 10. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Now, what's actually very interesting about what James is doing here is he's actually using a different word for patience here. He gives a little bit more nuance. So what James is saying here about patience is to remain standing through severe and painful adversity. He is talking about tapping into this inner strength and this determination so you can get to the other side of some of the hardest seasons of your life. Now, I am hoping that everybody in here is a Jesus-loving Christian and has seen the first Rocky movie. Okay? I'm hoping you're all saved and you know the Lord, okay, and have seen your first Rocky. Now, if you have zero, I mean, this movie is now almost 50 years old. I can't even believe it, but it's a classic. And if you don't know the premise of the first Rocky, Rocky's this no-name kind of lowlife who ends up getting this opportunity to take on the heavyweight champion of the world, Apollo Creed. And so the whole movie builds up to this momentous occasion, and they finally get to the fight at the end of the movie, and Rocky is just getting his face pummeled in. I mean, he is Apollo's punching bag, and he's just getting beat up, and yet every time he gets knocked down on the mat, he just gets up again for another beating. And his coach even at one point is like, stay down, stay on the mat. And Rocky just gets up again. And he survives 15 rounds with the heavyweight champion of the world. And the actual meaning of the word patience here is to hyper stand. It means you are somebody who just will not be knocked down. You are going to get up again and again and again, no matter how many beatings to the face you take. Now, James doesn't use Rocky as an illustration, but he does use some other people. He talks about these prophets. Now, these were people called by God to speak on his behalf throughout history. They even wrote books of the Bible. And they were treated like less than trash. Jeremiah was a famous prophet in history. At one point in his life, he is lowered in a cistern which sometimes you'll read that in the Bible and just kind of pass over it, but cisterns were often used as disposals for human waste. Could you imagine being lowered into the bottom of a porta potty Isaiah, another famous prophet, church tradition tells us he was sawed in half while he was still alive. John the Baptist was beheaded, and I could go on and on about prophets who were thrown in prison, starved, tortured, killed, and endured horrific circumstances, all because they obeyed God. All because they did what God asked them to do. Now, your brain should be blowing up a little bit inside your head. Because we actually don't have a framework for that in our American culture. Well, hold up, wait, hold on. Isn't God supposed to help me when I do the things he wants me to do? Well, here's the issue. We have an American version of Christianity in our culture. Call this American Christianity. Here's how our thought process works. I obey God, therefore life will be great. Right? This is the deal I make with God. I do what he wants me to do, and then he does what I want him to do. 
and we have a great business relationship together. And he needs to do his part as long as I do mine. Now, there's only one problem with that thought process. The Bible. That's the only problem with that. Because there actually is a true biblical form of Christianity, which actually works this way. You got biblical Christianity. This is what it says. You obey God, and results may vary. That's what you're promised, okay? <laughs> results may vary. That's the only disclaimer in the whole Bible. No guarantees. And, and you need to hear this, everybody. There is not a single place in the Bible that says if you do everything God asks you to do, you are guaranteed health and wealth and protection from all the pain and suffering you want to avoid. It's not in there. And these prophets that James is referencing are now recognized as some of the greatest humans who have ever lived. And what makes them worth remembering is not the pain and suffering they avoided, but the pain and suffering they endured. They persevered. They were patient even through the worst moments of their lives. And now we get to see the ultimate impact thousands of years later, even after they lived. James actually gives one other example to really push this point. He brings up Job. Now, if you don't know Job, he, uh, he has an entire book of the Bible named after him. And Job was a really good man, like a standard of morality. And you could argue that out of anybody, this guy really deserved a good life. Like he earned it. He was entitled to it. And yet he suffered horribly. He lost his kids in a terrible disaster. His wealth evaporated almost overnight. He got very sick and he essentially lost everything. And as this was starting to unfold in his life and devastate him, Job said this, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In the very next verse, the writer says in all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Job went through it. He had every reason to give up. I mean, he could have been like, I give up on God. I give up on life. I am just done with this thing. It was so bad. His wife even at one point was like, you know what? You should probably just die. Like when your wife says that to you, that's a bad day. Like you're not having a good day. And yet through this whole thing, Job is going through this horrific season in his life. He has this moment of conviction. And he says this in Job 23, when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. And I love that illustration, James, of metal being tested in this fire and coming out pure because it's exactly what James uses in his own letter too. A few weeks ago, we covered this very passage right here from James. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Job got knocked down hard. He didn't even understand why it was all happening. And he just kept getting up 
every time he got beaten down, he just stood up again and he kept getting back up. And I came across this quote on social media just the other week and I was like, man, that fits perfectly with this message. Uh, famous philosopher Albert Camus, he says this, sometimes carrying on, just carrying on is a superhuman achievement. Sometimes when Nicole and I go through hard seasons, we have a line we tell each other. We say, hey, babe, survival is success. Survival is success sometimes. Just getting through. Just making it the next day. One thing that's kind of a weird quirk I have, um, I love biographies. Almost at any point in time I'm reading some type of biography, I just go crazy on them. And I just go down these rabbit holes on these people from history. And one person I came through just through my journey of just obsessing over biographies is this man, Nelson Mandela. Now, if you're not familiar with Nelson Mandela, about 50 plus years ago, there was institutionalized racism in South Africa, apartheid very serious form that was crippling to the non-white citizens of that country. I mean, they were dispossessed of property. They had an inferior education system. They had limited social, political, financial opportunities and rights. And Mandela grew up in the middle of all this chaos in this country. And he had the perfect opportunity to just keep his head down, avoid unnecessary pain and suffering, and just survive this season. But Mandela chose to live the life of a prophet. And he spoke up for truth and human rights and dignity and for speaking the truth courageously and for standing up for the rights of humanity, he was rewarded with 27 years in prison. 27 years. Now, you may not know, Mandela was actually a Christian. And he believed that Jesus was coming. And he believed that there was more to his life than just these few short years here in this world. And I am merely speculating right now. But I have wondered if maybe there were times while Mandela was rotting away in that prison cell where he'd be reading his Bible and he would come across this very passage that we're reading today and be reminded to be patient in the face of suffering, to persevere, to stand firm, to trust that the rain was going to come. After those 27 years, Mandela was released and he would go on to be the country's first black president. And he became a central figure dismantling apartheid in South Africa once and for all. Incredible human being. Now I have a question. Do you think that Mandela lived God's purpose for his life? Do you think so? Do you think you fulfilled God's plan? I need a couple more nods just to help me. It'll help for illustration purposes. I can't have any of these right now, okay? I need some help. I think so. I think if you look at Mandela, you're like, that looks like a guy who lived out God's will for his life. That looks like a guy who was faithful to what God asked him to do. And what was he rewarded with for his faithfulness? 27 years in prison. 27 of the best years of his life spent in a jail cell. And it's those things where you start to wonder, God, come on. Like, what a waste. What else could have happened? through this man if he wasn't stuck in a jail cell. But you have to see 
What did James say about Job? Do you see what the Lord finally brought about? And after those 27 years, you could say that was a waste of time, but you see, God was investing that time, and he redeemed every single second that Mandela was behind those bars and blessed them a thousand times over. He gave back Mandela all of the pain and suffering with interest, with the blessing and favor that he brought on his life. You got you to hear what James is saying. Do you see what the Lord finally brought about? The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. God knew what Job went through. He knew the pain. He was with him right there in the loss. He was present through all of the suffering. And he paid Job back for every moment of it with the most unbelievable rewards. God knew the pain and suffering of these prophets, everything they went through. And guess what? Many of them never got paid back for their pain and suffering in this life. They did it. But Jesus says, you should still even be encouraged by that because we have a promise in Matthew 5. He says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. I got to talk to some people in our church here today. Some of you are going through one of these types of seasons right now. It's hard. It's heavy. You're tired. And you need to hear me today. God knows. He sees. He knows every single tear. He knows every single sleepless night. He is present in the middle of everything you are facing. And he has a promise for you today. He's saying, if you will trust me and be patient, even through this, if you will just stand firm, just one more day and one more day after that, I promise you, there is going to be relief. There's going to be a reward. You are going to be paid back beyond anything you could possibly imagine. And here's why you can trust this today. Here's why you can leave here today with confidence knowing that's true about your life. Because God already proved it. You see, God came here into this world in Jesus, fully God, fully man. And he was perfectly patient with his own creation. The very own people he created who were nailing him to a cross, as those nails were going through his hands and feet, he was able to cry out, Father, forgive them. Jesus was perfectly patient through his suffering when he knew the cross was an unavoidable, determined fact in his life, he was able to say, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is the only person who has ever lived who truly deserved a good life, and he suffered the worst. 
And Jesus stood his ground and stood firm even when facing death itself. And through his infinite patience, Jesus and his suffering on the cross, we were able to receive the compassion and the mercy of God, the forgiveness of our sins. So church, we already know the final score. Jesus has already won. The game is over. We're just waiting for the after party. <laughs> Jesus came to this earth for you. He died on a cross for you. He rose from the grave for you. And now he promises he is coming back for you to invite you into his eternal kingdom. And so church, if that is true, and it is, you can be patient. Christmas is just around the corner. You can be patient with those people who drive you crazy. You can be patient even through the hardest seasons of your life. And you can live every single day in this eager, excited anticipation because you know there is a date on the calendar and it is coming sooner than you think. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we just praise you right now, God. God, I thank you for the amazing hope that we have, that we have a promise that you're coming and you've already proved your love, Lord, and your commitment to us through the cross and through your resurrection. And so we have a hope today, God. We have something to look forward to. There's a date on the calendar. And Lord, I pray you would just stir our church with a spirit of patience an ability to wait with this hopeful expectation that the best days are always ahead for your people. We always have something to look forward to. We are one day closer to the greatest hope, the ultimate victory. We already know the score, Lord. Will you please just stir us with some of that encouragement right now, Father? And Lord, I wanna pray specifically for those in our church who are really going through a hard season right now. And we don't do this often as a church, but I feel like this is an opportunity. I know for many of us, this is a hard season and you are tired and, and you don't know what the future holds and, and it's heavy right now. And I just wanted to give you an opportunity to receive some more compassion and mercy from God today, just an extra dose of his very presence and love and just as an affirmation of faith and to even give me an opportunity to pray for you. Can I just ask you one thing? If you were somebody in here, we are saying, Brian, I am kind of just in a season of struggling right now. Would you mind even just very quickly, just slip your hand up and you can put it right down. I just wanna know who I'm praying for so I can lift you up right now. I see hands all over this room. I see all of your hands. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. We are gonna pray for you right now in church. I'm gonna ask everybody to join me as we pray. Lord, I lift up every single person right now that is reaching out to you, that is saying, this is just a hard season. God, I pray that they would have faith that you are gonna finally bring about relief and reward in their life. That at the proper time, Lord, your hope and your healing and your purposes are going to prevail. Lord, I pray that they would trust and really even experience right now just an extra dose of your compassion and your mercy. Lord, will you just fill these people up with extra encouragement, Lord, and true hope. I know there's some of us in here too, and you're pushing through life, but you need to know that 
You really cannot stand firm without the power of Jesus. You cannot run this race without his strength and his presence, and you're trying to do it on your own. And what you really need today is you need Jesus. You need his hope. You need his relationship. You need him in your life. And I want to give you an opportunity right now just to say, Jesus, I want you in my life. I need your strength to stand firm. I want you to be present even through the suffering. And you can reach out to him right now to say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, I need you in my life and reach out to him right now. He is in this place. He hears your prayers. He knows every single detail of your life. And Lord, as people are reaching out to you right now, I just pray, Lord, for you to save souls today, for you to bring hope of eternity, for you to transform generations and legacies in this room and online, Father. And I thank you, God, that we have a hope, an eternal hope because of Jesus. And we pray all of this in your wonderful name. Everybody said amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.